0: hello and welcome to this week's edition of the five things podcast i'm your host kenny gold joined by my co-hosts amanda davis hello amanda morning kenny and beth rolfs hello beth hey kenny and this week we're going to be talking about how social media companies are weaving themselves into all facets of our lives whether it be climate or elections or societal change. And this week, Beth is going to bring us another chapter in the never ending TikTok saga. Amanda will tell us a bit about Facebook releasing some data about climate science. Beth will dive into the data from Facebook on the virus's effect on small businesses. Amanda will loop us in on Twitter's place in the US election. And then finally, I'll reveal what Pinterest has learned in their year end trends. So with that, Let's dive right in, uh, Beth. Thing number one: US announcing ban of WeChat and TikTok downloads.
1: Yeah. So for WeChat and TikTok, potential fans who have not already downloaded the apps, um, because the Commerce Department is going to restrict access to new downloads of TikTok and WeChat um, for the users that already have. TikTok downloaded on their phone, they will no longer be able to update the versions of the app. The only real changes that current TikTok users will have to deal with is not having access to those improved apps and the updates and the upgrades and maintenance. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens with the app without those updates being able to be rolled out, especially if we get to a point where there's new OS systems. So for WeChat, um, the bans are a little bit more extensive. Uh, it will be illegal to host or transfer internet traffic associated with WeChat. Um, and the same will be true for TikTok starting on November 12th. So big news here. It's to me just nuts that uh, there's even this idea of using an app is illegal. Our government is now saying social media and ways to stay in touch is illegal. What do you guys think of this?
2: I can't keep up with whatever the latest is. I feel like every day it's banned. It's not banned. Trump approves the deal. He doesn't approve the deal. I don't understand particularly what is gained from banning these apps other than so-called security, which we've talked at, at length about how the other social platforms we use are not the most secure platforms either. So I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about this. I'm just curious if this is even really going to happen and what, what makes this the final say. I'm not, I'm just don't trust it.
0: I, I just, I just want to address that really quickly because I think there is the impact of what this means to the individual user and their ability to update the app and their ability to use it to download for new users. Right. And then there is what we're all focused about here at Gray, which is, what does this mean for marketers and brands and all these things? I think what this is just showing is the volatility in emerging spaces in social and how you need to understand the ins and outs of how to manage and work within them to deliver your brand message. I think what this says about TikTok is we should be using this time as marketers to understand the channel, understand the purpose of the channel, and know that this is a this is a personal vendetta, not a long-term sustained fact of what's gonna happen with TikTok. Uh, so I don't want to lose sight of of what we're dealing with here. I think we are going to be on a roller coaster until November. That's societal as well as really when we talk about TikTok. We have dedicated more time in this podcast to this conversation than anything else um and and at the end of the day i think it's important to read between the lines about what's going on here and not scare away marketers from learning about a channel that ultimately they will start to use to market i'm going to get off the soapbox now
2: well said and i think You can put anything in that box of TikTok too, knowing that, you know, like you said, Kenny, between September to November, everything is going to be up in the air, a question mark, what's legal, what's not. So yeah, taking the beat and understanding like exactly what kind of monster we're dealing with and whatever avenues that is, I think it's kind of all we can do. Um, Scary, but.
0: So from... The frying pan to the fire, I think is the phrase. Um, let's talk a little bit about Facebook launching the Climate Science Information Hub. Amanda.
2: All right. So Facebook launched this new hub, the Climate Science Information Center, which could have a better name, um, but it aims to like connect its users with a little bit more information and, and accurate information, I should say, um, that supports efforts around combating global warming and and the impacts here. They've uh, released a beautiful video about the dangers of climate change um, and talking a little bit about the platform, which includes, you know, some reputable information and articles. And it's it's all very lovely and um, well-intentioned. I think, you know, we're seeing a pattern with the way Facebook rolls out these these resources and tools in that it's not really... Hitting the problem. Um, I don't think necessarily that adding one hub of trusted information that is inevitably going to live alongside a lot of untrustworthy information is a great move for Facebook right now. Trying to convince people that they can find accurate information on Facebook. I I don't think this is the right time to convince people that that's what they should be using for their news and updates. Um, and this is the issue too of, of who's Facebook talking to? Um, they're talking to consumers who, if you're following any kind of climate science, you and you will know that most of the climate change issues we have are coming from corporations and people much larger than the individual Facebook user. So I just, I, it looks nice. It's a nice message. Um, I just think it's a little bit dangerous to try and push Facebook into a trusted source. Um, and it's not actually servicing the need for climate change. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I I think that they saw how well received their COVID information center was. Um, And I think they're realizing more and more uh, that the only way they're ever going to be trusted is if they start to come out and show that they are taking a trusted stance on these pillars that are so meaningful to people. Uh, it, it, It feels like a veiled attempt uh, to to push their way into your point Amanda. Um, so what I would say on that is uh, it's good. the information is good, but you can go to the reputable source directly without needing it sort of curated for you in, in a place um, like Facebook. Uh, but for those who don't know where to start uh, or what to look at, it could be an interesting place, but it has to be with sort of the cloak of uh, you know, Facebook can't always be trusted.
1: Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit, I think, of the devil's advocate stance on this. I think, you know, Facebook historically has had its issues with post people posting inaccurate information that everyone assumes is real because, you know, everything on the internet's true, right, guys? Um, and I do think it's, it's a nice direction while it may be sort of veiled and... You know, a little unauthentic. I think it is a good step in the right direction for the platform to start maybe being a little bit more reputable in its um, information seeking. If people are going to Facebook and say taking everything they see on Facebook as truth, I think it's a nice it's a nice push to have the right information be out there and the accurate information about climate change. But what does this mean for marketers? Do you think that this source of truth thing that's happening on Facebook will ever play a role for marketers? Like, can we get involved?
2: What we've been seeing, I think this is not a surprise to anyone, is, is brands needing to stand on a side of history. Um, and I think climate change is one of the more obvious ones. Um so I, I think this is kind of another chapter too for marketers on social to say, like you know you can't just show up, talk about your brand and and help people click and buy it um I think Facebook is like we're already seeing going to become a little bit more news and information and and a little have a little bit more function than maybe it used to in the past um so just understanding that's the landscape of how how people are consuming content and and making sure that you're showing up in a way that's actually adding to that conversation versus just you know. Uh, throw in your name next to next to the the endless scroll.
0: Marketers are always going to try and find a way to tap into these things. And I think we started to talk about it a bit when last week we talked about Facebook campus um, and if anything is wholly on Facebook to not be tapped into by marketers. And I think the answer is no. Uh, it's just, if it lives on this platform, it's going to be something people are going to try and market against. So with that, Beth, tell us about the report that Facebook published around the state of small business during COVID-19.
1: Yeah, so Facebook came out with its global state of small business report, Wave 3 update. So Wave 2 was run in June of 2020, and it's painting, um, you know, not unsurprisingly, not the most positive picture of what's happening with small and medium-sized businesses in 2020. Um, But what I thought was really interesting is that um, in the survey, one-third of SMBs reported that they uh, closed due to financial challenges during 2020 and due to the restrictions that are being placed on them. But it talks a lot about the role of digital and moving to more digital for these small and medium-sized businesses and how the ability to be digital is kind of saving some of these businesses. So not the most uplifting report to read of the year, but I think it's it's nice that Facebook is taking time to educate us all about what's happening with these small and medium businesses and kind of keeping up on that reporting.
0: I am. I. So talk about devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> this is as self-serving as it comes. Um, you know, it, okay, let's take a step back. I think it is important for Facebook to let the small businesses of the world know how they're performing during this time because if, at least if we have seen any silver lining in what's going on, in a new COVID workforce and business force is the rapid innovation and digitalization of what we do, um, really evolving businesses, uh, quickly, uh, you know, small anecdote, my dad's a small business owner. He he's a sole proprietor certified public accountant who for years and years and years, 35, 40 years. Um, has run his practice through real files and real filing cabinets and, you know, mail machines and everything else really in a hands-on way. He has been forced to digitize quickly and learn about server protection and, and data and all of these things that small business owners never really had to think about because they lived, you know, they lived in their, where they were and they operated their business. So, in a lot of ways, I think Facebook has an obligation to tell people how their businesses are performing and help them do better during a difficult time. That's the first thing. On the flip side, make no mistake. This is about selling more ads. This is about showing the power of things like Facebook Marketplace or Instagram Shop or ways for uh, brands to be able to try and make up income during a time where it is hard to evolve. So. I just want to make sure when we think about this that we we don't try to mistake the intent of something like this because I think Facebook has proven that above all else, they're an ad network.
1: Yes, totally true. Facebook, I think, admits that the way they monetize their platform is through ads and that's, that's the business there. But I do think that if people are using Facebook marketplace, shining a light on the need for small and medium-sized businesses to get a part of that consumer purchasing power and share is important, especially during these times.
2: And the other thing I will add is if... And I, I can't speak it for everybody, but I think if you talk to most small businesses, especially ones that are, are focused on obviously digital platforms and selling through Facebook and Instagram, if you ask them what their largest barrier is to kind of new sales and customer acquisition... I would assume 9 out of 10 of them will tell you it's the algorithm. The algorithm does not favor small businesses right now. A lot of posts and updates and shop features and things like that are not getting to the customers that it needs to. So I think the conversation is worth having, um, you know, for Facebook to to start this kind of awareness of of the state of things. But again, it's the constant issue of how how are you helping and are you helping? Or are you talking about an issue that you may have helped you know, get to the the kind of problems that are happening right now. So I, I think that it, it's a little silly for Facebook not to acknowledge their role in the less than ideal outcome of a lot of small businesses right
1: now.
0: Speaking of platforms trying to identify their role in unprecedented moments in American history, uh, Amanda? Tell us a little bit about Twitter releasing their election news tab.
2: All right, this one's positive, guys, don't worry. This is all about how Twitter debuted its election hub on Tuesday. It's it's basically another hub, but it's a set of tools for users specifically Americans to prepare for the weird election moments coming up over the next, you know, two months or so. Um you'll it, it basically will feature a US elections tab in the explore menu where you'll see some trending topics, some resources. I think they're going to be creating some content, uh educational content to share out to around voting and and public policy. This is great. I mean, they are also w- with this announcement, they are very specific about what they are doing and providing and the steps that they've taken. They've made it a point to quantify the, the what they've changed. They've banned political ads they've changed their policies they've added labels for tweets and and you know clarity around how government and state accounts are used there's a lot there's a list of of actual changes and and items that they've done to make this a a trusted space which is a you know funny coming in the same conversation but it, it actually you can see the steps that they've taken to uh minimize any kind of manipulated misinformation any kind of untrustworthy media so I love this. And this is like in this same conversation about Facebook, you you try a little bit harder and and put a little bit more kind of thought and, um, you know, action into what you're doing and you can actually help a societal conversation as a platform.
0: So we're going to get a reputation here for being (laughs) anti-Facebook and and pro-Twitter. But I got to say, you know, I think Twitter has myth has had its missteps along the way, but they have done a very good job of carving out what they think is appropriate, effective, and morally correct um, on their platform. I did read, however, this morning, who knows if it's actually true, that 80% of American adults are not even on Twitter. Um, So this feels like it is a really good step for the platform. It's smart. Uh, But on the flip side of things, uh, it's designed to control the engaged masses versus uh, the actual masses.
2: But I think the good, the only thing I will say about that is I, we talked about how Reddit, you know, took a lot of these steps over the last six months. Twitter's taken them following that. Facebook perhaps can, you know, learn some of these things. It's even things that are non-political, like um, sending information out in both English and Spanish so that your user base can digest all of it. It's, it's small tweaks like that that really make it feel like you are listening to the need and helping things move forward. So while 80% of adults is not probably the target that we really want to hit as it relates to the election, I'm I'm hoping that their specificity and clarity is going to, you know, we'll see that being picked up on other platforms. And that's a hope. I don't know if it's true, but there's the silver lining.
0: That's a misleading headline then, right? Because it's like, it's not just an election news tab. It's an election news and information tab, right? It's not just, it's about more than just what's happening in the election.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. And it's also like, they're adding a lot of other tools. They're live streaming the debates. I think that you're right. Kenning is like, this is being spearheaded as it relates to the election because of the importance of, of the moment right now. But I would be really keen to see how this kind of evolves past November um, and how it is used to have conversations on other issues.
0: Trends, you say? Trends looking ahead based on what we're seeing? Let me tell you a little bit about trends, my friends. Uh, Pinterest has just released their key end of 2020, Trends. I love Pinterest trends, love. Uh, I think it's really fascinating to hear what they have to say at the end of every year because they are intimately involved in the day-to-day pinnings of people across the world. Uh, and for a lot of people, Pinterest is that safe space where you can go and pin the things you hope for, the things you dream of, the projects you wish you were doing, the places you wish you were going. Um, and for a lot of us, it's a, it's a window into the soul of what each person is sort of desiring at that moment. And what they learned is uh, that this year, when normally the trends are about looking outside of the home for inspiration, it's clear now that everybody's sort of looking within the home and within themselves, um, which is really not surprising since we've all been home for half a year at this point. So uh they're calling this year's data and trends back to home life because this year is really emphasizing on that turning inward. Uh the 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 key takeaways here, pinners are continuing to reflect on personal growth, improvements, uh, and mental wellness with a significant spike in positivity. Uh, in particular, 64% uh were, were in that space life goals and travel plans have really been replaced by personal projects, whether it's home or self-improvement, which is really interesting. Uh, One of the things we saw were that there were three groups of people um, who pinned more than usual uh, during COVID and while being home, that's Gen Z, men and millennials. And what they were pinning about was very interesting. So Gen Z was very focused on self-love and safe havens. Uh, So there's something in there about feeling safe and secure during a time like this. Men were um, pinning more and and looking more into sprucing up. So maybe they're being challenged uh, by a partner or a friend, or maybe they're just looking around their house because they've been home for all this time and realize that you know, chips and video games and dirty laundry everywhere might not be the way to gracefully enter adulthood. Um, and then millennials were focused on a mindful home life, uh, which shows sort of the gap in the generation as they age up into marriage, perhaps um, having children or whatever they're doing. Um, but but they're turning this; these three audiences are turning to Pinterest more, and I think that shows uh, an evolution of that channel and the audience that's there. So to the data guru and the emerging platform experts here. Let's hear what you got to say.
1: I love this. Um, I think what's so cool about the data that you get from Pinterest is that it really captures that lurker behavior. Like it, we're not looking for likes. It's not about other people's stuff. It's truly about you. And there is a very forward-thinking kind of behavior when you're pinning something. Very rarely is it in the moment. Actually, very rarely is are your pins acted upon. But it really does give us an insight into like how consumers are thinking and what what new trends are bubbling to the top. So I love Pinterest as a form of data. I think a lot of this probably feels like a little bit of a... Yeah, I, I could have guessed that. Um, but the way that the different kind of mindsets we're seeing in these 3 audiences, I think is a really interesting thing for marketers to tap into and what does that mean outside of pinterest in resonating with these audiences and communicating to them in this quarantine what's happening next kind of time.
2: And yeah, Beth, you nailed exactly what I was going to say and and just anecdotally, all everything I've I've ever worked on with Beth has been really fascinating because as the person gathering a lot of these data and and insights it's It's true. It's like, you have to really look at the platforms and the behavior of people that aren't, don't think they're being watched. Like what is, how do you really understand what someone wants, what they want to do, what their hopes and goals and dreams are? Like, I just, you know, that's something that just working directly with, with you, Beth, little shout out to you. I've just learned so much more about like use case of how you get this data and, and data you get from Facebook is absolutely should be used differently than data you get from places like Reddit, Pinterest, spotify like wh- who are you when the doors are closed like that's really yeah. what uh i think you know we have interest in learning more about and and i think there is like much more richness and and creativity in those places so this is this is about like in that same vein of like really a great peek behind the curtains of who people are and it's and it's like it's good stuff we're not terrible yeah. people we do
1: we, we want to be good people <laughs> yeah it's cool to see that like Maybe the world feels like it's falling apart, but people are still working to better themselves. I love it. It's a positive note to end on. It's wholesome.
0: If you take anything away from this podcast, just be good people. (laughs) So first and foremost, if you liked these five things, please continue to subscribe and listen to our podcast here. Uh, Thank you to publications like Social Media Today, CNN, Twitter blogs, Facebook's data reports, Pinterest newsroom, and other first-party sources from our platforms for all of the sources that have helped us compile the five things. We'd love for you to check out the listener survey in the episode description. Beth, did you have any hand in this? Is there something you could possibly tell us about this survey? I
1: did. I did. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun survey that will really help us in better understanding kind of where we're going in our next season and what you guys like, what you don't like. Um, We're looking for honest feedback and to get to know a little bit more about your listening behaviors and how we can give you the topics that you all want to listen to. So your uh, participation would be highly appreciated and thanks in advance.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Amanda. Email us at podcasts at gray.com. And don't forget, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The five things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougal, produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.